Someone who's thin can end up with diabetes, and yet an obese person may be surprisingly healthy. Why is that? We'll talk about research today that addresses that question. Examining the latest research and telling you about the latest breakthroughs. The Science and Research Show is on the scope. I'm talking with Dr. Scott Summers and Dr. Bagi Tarashia in Nutrition and Integrative Physiology at the University of Utah College of Health. You know, I thought one way we could start talking about this is that um, this type of research has a personal connection for you. Um, if we're talking about thin people who get diabetes, which is kind of not the stereotype, um, that's that's something that you've faced in your own life, um, not with you personally, but with a family member. Yeah, I was 14 years old, and my uh, my father um, somewhat precipitously developed diabetes. He was 38. He was a fairly athletic individual, and to be honest, after he got diagnosed, he became sort of an uh, an exercise addict, and this was the way he would control his diabetes. But despite all of his efforts and the fact that he was incredibly fit and, and won countless road races, um, he, his diabetes worsened and, and, and became quite severe. And so that was sort of the impetus for me to study diabetes as a, in my career. Right. And so that profile is, is a surprise, right? Because what's, what's more typical? Yeah, he's an unusual diabetic, um, but he's not the only one. There are actually a fair number of people that can develop diabetes. We have kids that develop it, you know, a classic type 2 when they're obese, and we have adults that develop diabetes when they're thin. I think actually what we're learning is that distinction of type 1 and type 2 is much muddier than we realized, and there there are a lot lot of types in between. So often I think of diabetes as being a, a problem with the body's management of sugar. It turns out that's part of it. But um, what you two are looking at is uh, the role of, of fats in, in diabetes and maybe it's sort of a mismanagement of the way its fats are stored. Yeah, I think so. I think the, the issue is really what's the type of fat, right? So um, people, fat means it has a lot of different terms, right? Sometimes when we're referring to fat, we mean the tissue and sometimes we actually mean the, the food we're eating. And mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when fat is eaten, it's converted into something called fatty acids, which are then taken up into cells, and then they're restored um, in fat tissue as something called triglycerides. Ceramides is another way that, that those fatty acids get metabolized. Instead of getting stored effectively or burned for heat, they sort of spill over into this, and they conjugate with a certain protein derivative, protein metabolite. So it's, this, uh, it's just this different type of <clears throat> excuse me, fat metabolite that accumulates. And it seems to have a whole series of actions that really are almost part of a universal stress response. And uh, a lot of the damage they do seem to be relevant to most of the diseases associated with obesity. And do we have any idea why one person might be more able to store the fattest triglycerides versus going into that ceramide uh, pathway? Not as much as we need to. No, Uh we, we really don't. When fat makes the decision to either be stored, burned, or go to ceramides, um, it, uh, there are some regulatory factors. We know that inflammation infections will drive it into the ceramide pathway. We know that cortisol stress will. We don't know as much about the dietary component as we should. And we know ceramides are made from saturated fat and a certain type of protein. and It's a conjugation of those two. We don't know as much as one would think about how much you eat, whether that influences it or not. And there may be a genetic component, too. About 20% of Utahns have a mutation in a ceramide synthesizing gene, and those that do tend to have diabetes or hyperglycemia. So I think there are a lot of factors that are driving it, and we're trying to, that's sort of the, the holy grail of our research is to figure out those two yeah. questions, how ceramide works and, and what's driving its synthesis. 
Yeah, and that's exactly the next steps that we are following on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you did some research in mice. What what did that work show you? You over had too many ceramides in mice. So w- what we showed is that if you delete out one of the one of the initial enzymes required for ceramide synthesis, if specifically in the adipose tissue, these these animals tends, tend to be more insulin sensitive. They tend to burn more calories, and they tend to to deplete out what we call the bad fat. Mm-hmm. White fat into into something called brown fat, which actually tends them to to or the beach fat actually, which actually allows them to burn more calories, and that's why we think that these animals are much more skinnier and and much more metabolically healthy. Okay, and those are the ones where they had less ceramides. Th- those are the ones where ah, we had okay. less ceramides, and also we found in in both the mouse cellular models as well as the human cellular models is that if you feed them with increasing concentrations of ceramides, they tend to to Downregulate the trans the the expression levels of certain genes, which are required for 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 browning and increasing increasing energy expenditure, which is actually helpful. Which is helpful, yeah. exactly, um, because it takes that away from white fat, which exactly. is the more yeah. toxic fat. Yeah. Okay, are you looking into ways to maybe manipulate those pathways um, to to see if that can be used to treat diabetes? Yeah, absolutely. So we've we've shown before that if you if you treat with with their their drugs that you can give to to mice but not to people, and if you give that to them, they um it prevents diabetes, prevents fatty liver disease, prevents hypertension and and cardiomyopathies and things. And so we're trying, you know, a part of our lab is trying to develop new drugs that will mimic that. Um, we're testing some natural products that actually are are out there and and that people can eat that. Um, might be able to deplete ceramides, and we're looking at dietary um, interventions as well, or we'd like to at some point at least look at dietary interventions to see if we can try and modulate this in addition to looking at the genetic components. And so you think interfering with the cer- ceramide pathway might has a potential to help a lot of people? I do. I mean, we've been working on it for a long time now, so it's been <laughs> 15 years motivated. plus. So, yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I still, I'm still, still a believer at this point. Um, you know, there are, there are a number of things that can prevent diabetes in mice. So the fact mm-hmm. that we can do it with this is there are other people that can do it as well. And turning that into an effective therapy, I, I'm rather convinced that ceramides can contribute to the development of diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we can actually target that safely in, in a person is unclear because the reality is ceramides are actually, they do good things too. Mm-hmm. So it's only when they get above a certain threshold that they become toxic. So can we titrate them in a person? Can we get them to make just, you know, not too little, not too much, mm-hmm. and, um, and and remain healthy is going to be a challenge for us. But that's what we're trying to do and, and what I believe passionately we, we should do. Examining the latest research and telling you about the latest breakthroughs, the Science and Research Show is on the scope. 